If we're not reading the Bible through Jesus and we're taking everything as equal and giving everything uh, the same weight and taking it at its face value, the Bible's an incoherent text. How can you say, listen to the cries of the poor without looking at what makes them poor? You don't have to believe certain things to be part. The irony is that you can be pro-guns, pro-death penalty, pro-military, anti-environment, and still say you're pro-life. But people get really uncomfortable. It's like they want to have their religion and they want to have their porn. They want to do both. I don't think any form of Christianity deserves to survive and thrive if it doesn't come to terms with the racism of our past. When we really tell the story of Jesus, we find a God who comes to the point where it has all collapsed. If a good teacher is to get a student to get the right answers on the test, and if Jesus was supposed to get us to get the right answer for when we die, then can we just be honest and say, not a good teacher? Believe it or not, the holidays are right around the corner, and I don't know about you, but when it gets to the holidays, my health and nutrition tends to go out the window. So let's be proactive with that and reach out to Angie Niska with Rise Nutrition and get our free wellness profile just for Jesus Never Ran listeners. You can find her on Facebook at Rise Menominee. That's Angie Niska with Rise Nutrition. Hey friends, I'm your host Matt Kinzera, so glad to be with you today and really excited about this interview. Today we have Pastor Sharon Henry on. She's the pastor of Reflection MCC. This is a church that does things so much different and so much better. Hi, I'm Sharon Henry. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I am a pastor in the Metropolitan Community Church, which is a global church that was founded in 1968 by a gay man. And it was with the intention of creating a safe space for people in the gay community to worship. Uh, It was not safe in the late 60s. And so that was definitely the intention. Since that time, it has really grown into both a church and a justice movement, you know, recognizing that justice for one person is not really justice until it's justice for everyone. And so the church has made an intention to work for equality, to fight against racism and misogyny and xenophobia, all the the isms and obias that are there. So that has really been the intention of our church. For me, my passion, I started the church in Folsom, California, Reflection MCC. And for me, it was a different take on MCC because MCC is very present in a lot of big cities, a lot of uh, metropolitan and maybe more even liberal-minded areas. But to me, I feel like, you know, we did what we needed to do there. Uh, I have a friend, Reverend Scotty Shelton, who says MCC is the tip of the spear. So it kind of poked its way through for for equality, for LGBT. And it did that in the metropolitan areas. But now I feel like we need to keep making space in the other areas where there isn't such still safety in, in worship and in religion. And so Folsom is a little bit more conservative of an area. There's not as much acceptance or not not as many options. Folsom's really close to Sacramento. I can go to Sacramento and I can find all kinds of churches that are that are open and affirming, uh, which means uh, a safe place for for someone who identifies as LGBT. But 
not so much in some of the the smaller, more conservative areas. And so I want to continue to be that that tip of the spear that says, okay, so we've gotten this far, but but it's important here. And I see, you know, the people that come in, the kids who have been kind of put off at their church, either by saying you don't belong here or by the messages that are from the pulpit that are really demeaning and harmful that kids and parents have to sit and listen to. And so I just want to be the alternative that says, hey, I believe God made you in God's image. So what could be wrong with that? I think a lot of people feel okay about their non-affirming church because they will say things like, well, they're not teaching it from upfront, so I'm okay with it. And yeah. you know, my response to that, I have an 18-year-old daughter who came out a number of years ago now. She came out kind of to the world when she was a freshman in high school. She came out to us as her parents when she was in fifth grade. And her immediate response in that moment after we talked and she found out that we were calm and collected and loving toward her, she said, I was worried that you wouldn't love me. And I was worried that God wouldn't love me. And so then I wanted to dig into that. And I said, well, why do you feel that way? Because, you know, we've been a part of the evangelical church at that time for probably 15 years. And never once had I heard a pastor speak that from up front, but she still got that message loud and clear from her experience at church. And so even if you're not saying it up front, even if you're not hearing it in your messages or you're, you're not hearing the pastors and the leaders say it out loud, the undercurrent is most certainly felt and that makes it an unsafe place. And if there's ever a line where you're not allowed to go past it, or you're not allowed to experience more of God because of your fill in the blank, then it's not right. a safe place for you. So I appreciate yeah. that that you you know just identified that it's safe from up front. It's safe from everywhere because I too live yeah. in kind of a conservative community, and I've I would have to drive a long way to get to an affirming church that's not a mainline church. Right. So that it's weird to think that here we are in 2021, and we literally are like you said, we're we're that tip of the spear point in history right now. I wish we yeah. weren't. I wish we were much farther into this, but we're not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's interesting because even the term open and affirming nowadays, some churches will say, well, that means that we're okay with you. Just don't hold hands. Don't, you know, let us see any of that. <laughs> and and the reality is that's not open and affirming. And so I hope that church and communities that gather for the presence of God someday soon will just be, we celebrate you, who you are, you know, I people are individual views of who God is, you know, fingerprints of God and why, you know, celebrate each and every one of them. It would be wonderful. Yes. And I think it's, it shouldn't just be that we're accepting, you know, right. it should be that we're championing, you know, yes. we are the champions for human beings, right? Gay, straight, other, whatever your gender, race, etc. We just are champions for you because you're a human being that God created period, <laughs> you know, exactly. So I love exactly. it. Exactly. Share a little bit about your background because you, for whatever reason, through your faith journey, got to this point where you're doing what I would argue is some very difficult, challenging, yet meaningful work. So how did you get here? Where did that start? And where are you now? I was raised in a Pentecostal pastor's house. My dad is a Pentecostal pastor, my uncle, my cousin, my brother, 
and my great-grandfather are all Pentecostal pastors. So that's kind of the vein that I grew up in. And I was, you know, the, the rule follower. I wanted to please everybody. And that's just, you know, who I was. So not following the, the norm didn't make sense to me until I got to college. I went to a Assembly of God college. And my mom was diagnosed with leukemia when I was 19. She died when I was 20. Mm. And in the midst of all that grief, as you can imagine, emotions are all over the place. It started to become abundantly clear to me that my attractions, my sexual attractions, romantic attractions, all of that were not what my family would have me follow. So I did my very best. I, I call it, I tried to get fire insurance and I married a man. I have two amazing boys from that and now three grandkids. So I can't complain about that, but it was not, I am fully convinced God's will for my life. And so just through different things happening, uh, he and I were divorced. And then shortly after that, I came out my husband had an affair and that's that's when i said you know thank god that is my out because i was still you know 100 percent trying to follow scripture as best i could which i thought this is my out and so we separated and and he brought my family in to to kind of back him up and so it, through a myriad of, of circumstances i found myself living at the like literally the one person in my life who who remained faithful as a friend my family had all kind of turned me away and so i was living in the garage with my infant and my uh two-year-old son living in her garage and she came in with a a newspaper list that was called mom guess what it was like the gay newspaper in town which i had never heard of at this point I'm still thinking I'm the only gay person in the entire world. <laughs> and she comes in with the newspaper and says, I thought you might want to see this. And, and so as I was looking through it, I saw a picture of Reverend Frida Smith, who was the pastor of the MCC in Sacramento. And I went there. And the first thing I remember is I walked into the sanctuary where there were AIDS quilt panels hanging up. Now I had in my Pentecostal tradition, embrace the fact that AIDS was God's punishment, of course, for the gay community, which just breaks my heart to even think that was part of my thinking, but it was, it was very set. And so I saw those panels and thought, oh, I, this is wrong. I got to get out of here. And then I just remember the scripture kind of coming into my mind. They'll know we are Christians by our love. And it's the first time that I saw this community, this gay community, as individual people from the AIDS quilt, sons, brothers, fathers, lovers, and it just broke my heart. And I, and I remember standing there and just being overwhelmed with compassion. And then I realized that compassion was for me too, because I was still so fighting my identity. And it became this safety for me. When literally everybody but one person turned their backs, there was this community saying, you're okay. You're okay who you are. And it was just very powerful. Two parts about that story that I, I love the most. Number one is that, you know, it's, it's easy for us to say, well, everybody's abandoned us when things go bad or whatever. 
there's always that one, or there's always that, like, God never leaves us hanging all by ourselves. He always, right. he always leaves yep. somebody there for us. So we're, it feels like we're never completely alone. And I love that you had that friend that did that for you. And it's a great yes. challenge for all of us to keep our eyes open and our hearts open to see that person that is struggling. And maybe we could be that person for them. And right. then I love when for you in that, that moment, when you're, you're seeing the AIDS banners and it became, they became human beings. They became mm-hmm. brothers and sisters sisters and lovers, as you mentioned. And I think that is in so many ways, the solution to this, it's not to have a better theology. It's actually to have a closer proximity because the moment that people who are gay, transgender, other, the moment they become human beings that we talk to, or we uh, hang out with, then suddenly they're not just this people group, you know? Just right. like a Christian wouldn't want to be lumped in a whole group of Christians throughout history, right. because that's hard, nor would a gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual person want to be lumped into the the sum of the whole, because we're all individuals, just blows my mind. It blows my mind that we do that when Jesus spent so much time focusing on each individual as he, as he went through his life. And that's yeah. right. Leave the 99 and go find the one. And yeah. we're so concerned about being caught near the one <laughs> we can't be seen with that one <laughs> heaven, heaven so, forbid yeah. yeah all right i love that you call your church reflection church and the mcc as as a whole not just a church but a justice movement and for yes. me that resonates so deeply that was probably other than the lgbtq reality and, and the way the church was handling that the other issue that i really struggled with was the church being engaged in justice issues it seemed very isolated from them and even when it would engage it would be with a goal of getting people to say the sinner's prayer or something like that right when again you know looking at jesus life just even looking historically at the church even going back to judaism before jesus you know there was this sense that faith and justice we're melded together and we've lost that. We've definitely lost that. So share a little bit about how you all do that. Our biggest outreach right now as a church for the, for justice is with the unhoused community. And so we really work to, to make them feel a part of the community. And again, like you said, not to, not to bring them in and get them saved quote unquote, but just to share love with them. It's been fascinating that, just in the three years that we've been a church in Folsom, there's been, I think, four people who have died on the streets for various different ways in Folsom. And the community reached out and asked me to lead the funeral, which told me they know I care, you know, because we've been a, a homeless shelter. We work with Heart, which is the homeless assistance resource team which is multi-faith. It's a bunch of different churches that get together. We become a homeless shelter. We have a shower in our church, which we open up every day. We can possibly open up for the homeless. We made sure to get washer and dryer right away to be able to just be a resource for them and let them feel human, I think is so incredibly important. The other thing that I think was important for us is not to reinvent the wheel, because I think Sometimes churches feel like they have to have their corner on the market rather than, wow, they're doing that and they're doing that. And here's a place where we can fit in and let's all work together. 
And I think that's something not just Reflection MCC, but the churches in Folsom have really started to do, which is exciting because it tackles the the issue in just a, a much broader perspective. Of course, we do LGBTQ justice. I've presented for the uh, Gay Straight Alliance in the high school. We hosted a group that was an alternative to the Scouts, especially when the Boy Scouts were not allowing LGBTQ boys or leaders. Um, this group became an alternative. And again, we weren't that group, but we made a space for that group, which I think is just really important because we can't hit every issue, but we can absolutely be open and affirming and welcome those who are working on those issues. A huge frustration that I've had is that we've got these huge injustices going on in the world and we might have something happen on a Saturday and the pastor's not prepared for it because he's got his four-part sermon all set up and ready to lock and load. So we're just going to keep going as opposed to like call out what just happened right. <laughs> in the world and draw attention to it and be praying for it. And unless it's like a unbelievably humongous thing, like what happened at nine 11, so often it's not even discussed. So I'm talking about it. You're talking about it. Everybody in their homes and workplaces are talking about it, but the church is, is just talking about Ephesians five or something, you know, right. whatever just happens to be the, the message for the day. And so the idea that you take the time and I've listened and watched some of your, your online services that you've had recently. And just the, the way that you'll just bring in things that happened in our world and you'll, you'll bring a lament to it, or you'll bring a, a light to it. And I think that's really beautiful and, and really important because I do believe that we, as followers of Christ, as people of faith, as people who believe in divinity on any level, we should care desperately about justice and equality yes. as a whole. So thank you for doing that work. I think it's super exciting and, um, and amazing. Thank you. One of the things that I loved, and I think I saw this in an email that you sent me when you decided to be a part of the MCC or when you decided to start reflection, you actually asked them if it was okay to change some language and some of the bylaws yes. because you were concerned that people as they do, like I do struggle with the title Christian or some of the titles that have come around faith because of what we've all experienced in faith circles. Yes. And so you, even from a bylaw standpoint, made your church a safe place for, I think you said it was something to the fact of people who struggle with the title, but still are drawn to the source. Is it, am I close? Yeah. So I requested to change those who are members must be a Christian to those who would become members would take seriously the life and teachings of Jesus, because I have so struggled lately with what Christian has become in the world, what, what the understanding of it is, what it means to be a Christian, I feel like has so fallen by the wayside of what actually it is to follow the life and teachings of Jesus, the Christ. So, yeah, so I asked to have that changed because I don't want somebody who can't call themselves a Christian based on what it has become to feel like they're not welcome at our church. I don't remember, I don't recall Jesus ever saying, I'm going to call pastors to be the gatekeepers of who gets to be part of the church. Anyway, that 
I don't ever see that that was part of a pastoral role other than to just continue to live and preach and build a community that is surrounded in let's talk about what is truth. The truth is not what's right or wrong. It's what is truth, which we can constantly seek in every moment. I was just having a conversation this past week and I just said, I refuse to call myself a Christian anymore. This is so ridiculous. I'm out. It's just the reality is if you throw that out there, because I care desperately like you do for for safe spaces. I want our faith to be safe. I want it to be safe for everybody, no matter what, uh, to be able to explore spirituality and whatever that looks like. And this weird Western construct of Christianity that we have is just a mess. And I'd much rather be on the outside of it looking in. And that, but that doesn't mean that I'm on the outside of wanting to, you know, follow the, the teachings of Jesus or the teachings of other great spiritual teachers for that matter as well, which is another huge benefit to being outside of kind of that really stingy Western Christianity is you can follow Jesus and you can believe in Jesus, but you can turn your face in any other direction that seems appropriate at the time and learn so many things from great Eastern teachers or great ancient Celtic teachers, or even great pagan literature. You know, there's, I mean, cause we're all just trying to somehow comprehend divinity and the great unknown. And so none of right. us have the corner on it. And so I just love that you have created a place that's so safe for so many people in so many ways. And that alone could be a lesson that, that so many of us could learn from. So thank you for yeah. that. also do something that is really close to my heart. You're a chaplain. I believe you're a chaplain at a, a medical center or hospital. Yes, is that correct? A hospital. Yes. Tell me a little bit about how you got into that and a little bit about how you see yourself in that role. When my mom was diagnosed with leukemia, this is like 30 years ago. Now we had a chaplain at the hospital that she died and it was awful. <laughs> it was like the worst experience. Oh. So I didn't like chaplains and, uh, to be ordained with an MCC, I needed to do a unit of CPE, which is clinical pastoral education or a unit of chaplaincy. And so I begged the people in charge of my readiness to enter vocational ministry to change that rule for me. And they refused. So when I interviewed at Sutter Roseville, My now boss, Gerald, said, so why do you want to do this? And I said, let me be clear. I do not. (laughs) I do not want to do this. What made you think I do? Right. So I said, one unit, you'll never see me again. So I did my unit and just absolutely fell in love with chaplaincy. It is an invitation to join some of the most sacred moments of people's lives from their coming in to their going out and all in between. It's a gift. I just happen to feel that you know God better when you know people better. I believe in such a relational God. And so to experience that, but then also to represent that divine presence as you walk into some of the hardest moments of people's life, it has become such an honor to me. My boss tells a story that I absolutely love of a CPE group. It was three white American 
Christian men through whatever evangelical or Protestant Catholic, probably a grouping of them. And then a, a, a woman who came from Latin America. And that this was a group of CPE students. And at the very beginning, we need to create a statement of faith. This is what our faith and chaplaincy kind of why we do chaplaincy. And the three men went first, each each doing their own version of when I go into the room, I want people to see God in me, or I want people to be able to experience God as I go into the room. And then the the woman who went last said, well, I, I may not have totally understood how to do this, but I wrote, when I go into the room, I want to see God in others. And it was just such a powerful moment for that group to go, oh, yeah, I, wanna, I want that answer. <laughs> because that outward focus. And I think that's why I love kind of going back to the justice ministries with people who are on the margins, is if you can see... If you like open your eyes and see God in those marginalized people, the margins tend to start to go away, at least at that moment. I 100% agree with that. I would also say not only seeing God in marginalized people, but also seeing yourself in marginalized people. I just read a quote. I wish I could remember who it was from. Maybe I'll look it up before we air this. But it was a quote where somebody said, well, how should we treat the other And then the response was, there is no other, right? you know, because it's all like, we're all here together and your hurt is my hurt. Your pain is my pain. Your joy is my joy. And that is contrary to kind of the religion that has been formed, at least in America, if not worldwide of I'm right, you're wrong. So, so I feel your pain if you're a part of me, but I don't, if you're, you're separate from me. I don't think a week goes by that I don't call upon the the African term Ubuntu, yes. which is just that I, I can't be okay if you're not okay. It's powerful. Yeah. I first heard that term from reading one of Desmond, the Bishop Desmond Tutu's yes. books. And I think he described it as saying, you know, something of the fact of, you know, in America where we say, how are you doing? He said, the African term Ubuntu really means, how are we doing? Yes. You wouldn't ask in, in his culture, you wouldn't ask, how am I doing? Nobody cares. It's how right. are we doing? That's something that Isn't we that can learn a lot yeah. from. Speaking yeah. of, we live in this culture where there's so much selfishness, so much hate, so much negativity so much bad, Sharon. There's just so much crap right now. Yes, there is. So I hadn't noticed. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if you noticed. So as a person, you being a person that cares desperately about justice, I'm sure that's really hard on you as it's hard on me to see, you know, so, so much hurt in this world. So as a pastor, as a chaplain, where is it that you are able to see through all of that hurt, harm, and horrificness and see hope maybe love and um, a brighter tomorrow or a brighter future? Such a great question. What inspires me the very most is that kind of spark in people's eyes when they get that it's for them too. It may look different for them, but it's for them too. My best friend in the world is, she is not a Christian. She has a very different kind of spirituality that she is starting to explore and when we were talking one one day, I think she just realized, I'm not judging you. That's great. Tell me more about it. And I think people have felt so cut off for so long that true community where we're talking about the mystery of God, not just the 
the rightness of your doctrine, but literally the mystery of God and the ultimately the love that is God. I think that's where I find my hope is that that people understand that they're not excluded, but that they're brought in too, that they're okay. And I just love doing that. I just I just love saying, oh, okay, that's okay. Great. I love you. Not in spite of the fact that you think that way or believe that way, but I love your perspective. I, I think that that there's magic in that too. So I think that's what constantly gives me hope is the realization that I am a better person as I experience these people. And I pray that people are a better person as they experience me. That keeps me going. Special thanks to Pastor Sharon Henry for being on the show today. And if you want more information on Reflection MCC, you can simply go to reflectionmcc.org. And I'll put a direct link in the show notes of this episode. If you want to support this podcast, of course, give it a five-star rating, subscribe to it, and write a review. 